Today, I had a very fun conversation with Lisa Valentine Clark from The Lisa Show on BYU Radio. She's a writer, an actress, a comedian, and a radio show host. She recently lost her husband to ALS, and we just had a very fun and meaningful conversation. Let's get proximate. Welcome back to First Lady and Friends. I met a new friend just today, and I've been a fan from afar, and I've been listening to some podcasts on BYU and BYU Radio. Uh, Here in the studio today, Lisa Clark. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I am a little intimidated because you are the pro. <laughs> Whatever. So. I'm with the first lady. How do you think I feel? <laughs> think about me. First ladies just make it up. So I love it. Here we go. Now, I'm really excited. You are incredibly talented and um, just so much fun. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so let's talk a little bit. You know, your your background, you are a writer, an author, you are an actress, a comedian, which I think is just so fascinating because, um, you know, everybody thinks they're funny, but <laughs> right, <No. laughs> there's only a few that really are. So, so uh, and, you know, we, we love a, we love comedians and we, we love to laugh and, and Spencer and I have these, I, tell me about your family a little bit because when you're here, there's different humor oh, yeah, in different families. Like there's oh, yeah. like the true family, right? Which is mine. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, and then totally. And our family was like more slapstick and like goofy humor. And then Spencer's family is like all like sarcasm oh. and mm-hmm. kind of clever humor, like yeah. witty humor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have to be a little smarter. We weren't. So. <laughs> That's awesome. So what it, what it was your family? Where, where did you learn humor or how did you learn humor? So my family of origin, the Valentines, um, we grew up in Lincoln, Nebraska, the Midwest. And my dad is really funny. And, you know, dinner time was a great time for us just to try to make each other laugh. And what's great, I'm one of five kids. Um, and as adults, we're all still very close and close with the in-laws and everything. It's it's really great, mostly, I think, because of our humor. And if I could make my brothers and sisters laugh, well, then, or my parents, that was like gold. And they didn't just hand it over to you, right? Like they made you work for it. And if it wasn't funny, they would let you know. So that's how I grew up, sort of doing that. And then, you know, in a school and junior high and high school and stuff, there was always you know, opportunities to do, to MC the talent show or the synchronized swimming show and that whatever show got you to do like little sketches and skits in between um, the, the, the performance I would want to do and just sign up with my friends and, and just try to be fun. So did you, was it, I mean, was you, were your parents in acting or, I mean, what, what inspired you to sort of First of all, have the confidence because I think about myself and in middle school, it's like, just don't be noticed. Just don't be noticed. Right. How do you how did you have the confidence to sort of say, yeah, I want to be in front of a crowd. I want to be making people laugh. What what inspired you that? I way? don't think that I really thought of it that um, consciously. I, I, I remember in junior high seeing a swing choir that would sing and dance. And I remember thinking, I'm going to do that one day. And I try and I tell my kids they don't believe me. 
but I'm going on the record and I'm saying it. It was cool. It was cool <laughs> to do swing choir. I did it all through junior high and high school. It was so fun, but it got me doing performance after performance after performance, a ton of performances. And so I got over stage fright and things like that because we performed so many times. But for the whole humor thing, whether it was like a musical or a play or sketches and that kind of stuff, it was just being goofy with my friends you know like I I just got to a point where I was like I know I'm not cool and I don't care because we're just too much busy having too much fun right Mm -hmm. like and so I think I I credit like who I hung out with I I would always want to hang out with the funny people and I found them and I have no regrets and so I think that really built it up then when I went to college and you know, I was looking for the funny people, you know, the people who would just make me laugh and didn't take life so seriously. Um, and they were said, hey, come and do this improv thing. And I'd never heard of of that. And I started doing improv and then auditioned for the Garen's comedy troupe, which that did wrote, you know, and performed sketches as well as improvisational comedy. I was like, oh, I found my thing. I found my people. And yeah. I've never stopped doing it. I thought it was going to be a side thing. And no one's more surprised than me that it's actually turned out to be my main thing. <laughs> Do you? So is that kind of where I, I mean, I know Studio C. Uh-huh. Is that kind of where that started? So <laughs> if we can go way back. Yeah. Garen's Comedy Troupe was a club right at, at BYU okay. where I went to college. And, um, you know, we had sold out shows every you know, Friday and, and, um, it was so much fun. And we did that. There was another comedy troupe that started. Um, one of my friends, actually, Randy Davis started divine comedy with a bunch of friends and he jokes with me and I don't know if I can go on the record. I don't know if this is controversial or not, <laughs> but he says, I started divine comedy cause I didn't get into the Garrett's. Oh, <laughs> now I love to say that, but, but I don't think that's true. Um, but divine comedy did the same thing. Did sketches and and I don't think that they did improv um, and improvisational games, but um, out of that came Studio C. Okay, yeah, and then that was that's fully scripted. In fact, a good friend of mine that I do um, a lot of improv with and have done for decades um, is now the showrunner of that show and. Okay, they're doing like awesome fun stuff. Well, they've done. They've just. They kind of. It was just so different and people just loved it. And I mean, I remember the first time I watched the sketch years and years ago when it first came on. And I remember watching it thinking, what is this? Yeah, you can't really I was trying like to find figure it. out like, is this, because it's on BYU TV and I'm thinking, is this funny? Is this funny? I was trying to, like, oh yeah, it is. And then like my daughter, I got to a point with her and she was, I don't know, kindergarten, first grade, second grade. And I was like, okay, this is the rule. You cannot tell me line by line oh. what happened in Studio C. That's just the rule. I will watch it with you, but I will not. Right. You, that's the rule. That and you can't explain a if whole. If you have to explain it. Yeah, a whole episode of Phineas Ferb. Oh, no. That's funny. Because she's. <laughs> it's like, that was she the knows rule. what she likes. She's got good taste. <laughs> she does. So it was it was really fun. So let's go back to your, uh, your family of origin. So there are five kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and you grew up in the Midwest. What was that like? Um, it was great. It was great. I had a great childhood. You know, I had 
just great supportive parents. Um, I grew up in a great neighborhood. And it got to a point where I think, you know, my parents were like, well, we could kind of live every, anywhere because of our work. And they just chose there for, uh, to live there because it was like good air quality and great public schools. And, and, I, and I am really grateful for that. That, that we grew up there. I think people are really down to earth. I think that really helped to form nobody. I didn't really feel like some of the kind of pressures that my kids felt. And I don't know if that's generational or geographical. I'm sure it's a combination of both. Right. But yeah. just great childhood, great um, siblings. Um, and I'm lucky that I live near a couple of them and then a couple of them sort of live far away, unfortunately, but we get together when we can. And thanks to technology, we're able to still make running jokes continue. Oh, that's so fun. We love it too. I have, I have eight sisters. So we, the, the oh, sister yeah. thing, you know, you two brothers, it. but the, the sisters, we, we think we're really funny. Right. <laughs> we and that's that. all that's important, right? If that we are hilarious. No one else will get this, but look at this. And I know it's, I know it's going to kill, you know, for all my brothers and sisters and what won't. That's <laughs> so, exactly right. The fine tuning it for yes, years and years. Yes. And that is the gift that I am to my family. Yes. You're, You're welcome. welcome. <laughs> Um, so, so then you came out to BYU mm-hmm. to go to school and got involved in all that stuff. Yeah. And then you, did you meet your husband at, at I did. BYU? I was studying to be a high school English teacher, which I was for a little bit. Talk about comedy training. Holy Thank cow. you for being an educator <laughs> for a minute. <laughs> I met my late husband um, when we, we were both English majors. He had uh, just finished serving an LDS mission in Finland. He came back. He was on an acting scholarship, but, but decided to study English because it was more practical. We laugh. About, I, mean, I can't even get that <laughs> sentence out. We were like, this is so practical. We're both going to be English majors. This is so great. We're so dumb. <laughs> anyway, so... Listen, I'm trying to parent differently and be like, somebody has got to go into technology. Um, I don't know. I know. STEM, what, yeah. and I don't know what everything STEM stands for, but like kids, <laughs> everybody take one of the letters and they have not complied like you would expect. <laughs> but um, we were both in a an English society um, play together. You know, the English society, the club, we were going to put on a, cl- uh, a play called Mysteries Creation, where we did scenes from the Bible. Wait, it was a real so, nice So this is... English majors deciding on a play. they're going to yeah, be it's actors. It's as horrible as you think it is. <laughs> okay. I'm but just Chris trying to get that right. was on acting scholarships, so he was the star, and he got cast as Satan, the most coveted role. <laughs> I, on the other hand, got cast as a chicken on Noah's Ark. True story. But don't feel bad for me, because I did get promoted, because they saw how committed I was to being a chicken. True story. I got to also be the dove on Noah's Ark, which I don't oh, want to brag, is amazing. It's your part because it's I a go critical and get the olive branch and bring it back. It's a critical role. So that wow. that that was the the perfect environment for two misfit actors <laughs> who were English teachers to be more practical to fall in love eventually after they were friends for a year. So okay, so you so you were friends for a year and then you started dating and yes. then what? A lot of things like, you know, Got yada, in the way. Yada, 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 and, yada. <laughs> and then we got married. <laughs> Ta-da! You can't yada, yada. <laughs> okay. Yep. See, we, we're the same age. We have the same uh, pop culture references. Yep. Thank you, Seinfeld. <laughs> I'm probably older than you. I shouldn't say. I, I shouldn't so. assume we're the same age. I think we're contemporary. <laughs> um, so so then you were, you're married, did you, and then you said you did, 
did you both graduate in English? Yeah, so we both graduated in English. Um, and, uh, you know, there were talks of Christopher going to law school, which I think is the funniest. It's the funniest joke now, <laughs> um, you know, to be practical. But um, he uh, went on to do other things, as did I. Mm, okay. Yeah, we just changed our mind and we were like, you know what? We know who we are. Let's just go for it and do what it is that we really want to do. And so we both were able to do that. That's amazing. Yeah, it's just my my husband went to, did go to law school, and I think he was always w- hoping he would be an actor instead. <laughs> oh, it's not too late. <laughs> I know. That's, you know, that's true. That's true. There's there's still room for right. <laughs> we could jump out at any moment now. Anytime. I'll put on a production. Let's put on a show. Can you imagine? <laughs> Can you, wouldn't that be the funniest thing, though? That would be. He loves it. We we do this uh, fundraiser for the Shakespeare Festival every year. Oh, that's awesome. And this year they did uh, Every Brilliant Thing. And they asked him to come in and do, uh, you know, just like, it's it's a little bit improv But he said, uh, you know, they said, you're going to be a dad and just do dad things. Oh. And so it turns out, you know, they were getting married and he was sort of giving them a congratulations speech oh. and everybody was dying. It was hilarious because he was making fun of me. So that's usually oh, thank the you. Goes. <laughs> <laughs> like, he was honored. Everyone's you like, where comedy. did this come from? And I'm like, I provide I know great material. That's that's what I do. That's, that's what, what I'm you get after years and years of marriage. Come <laughs> on. Right. That's awesome. Uh, so amazing. Um, so you so you married. You were a teacher for how yeah, long? Yeah, for a hot minute. I, d- I um, taught junior high and high school English for a little while. And then I started having a lot of children mm. and um, loved that. And while I was staying home with them, I taught um, and created online this see this is back in when this was brand new yeah and and classes started going online and um i started creating curriculum and teaching online uh to keep up with the busy demands that i had at home which were eventually five babies so wow wow so and they're all used i think you said five babies in 10 years yeah in 10 years so Uh every two-year plan loved it yeah that's fantastic boys girls i i have um Two two sons and a non-binary child and two daughters. Oh, that's so, amazing. It's great. That's so fantastic. And hold your baby. She's 14. Oh, okay. So my oldest is, is 24 um, this week and my youngest is 14. We are very close. Really? I got her 23 and 15. Oh, there you go. <laughs> So we are very close. Well, we want to get into some of the other things that you're doing uh, and just some, we just want to keep going talking about your incredible life and we'll do that when we come right back. We are back here on First Lady and Friends with the one and only Lisa Clark from The Lisa Show. I mean, you have a show that's your name, so <laughs> I come on. And I always have to explain, I didn't pick the show, right? <laughs> like the name, right? You know, I was like, how about we do the morning thing or hey, breakdown like because I could have a breakdown at any moment I thought that was a funny thing and they were like no let's call it the Lisa show so yes that's what it's called I love it I love it so you finished being a teacher at some point you were being a mom for how many years you were forever I mean 
<laughs> no, I know what you mean. No, I, 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 I stayed you are at home still pri- a mom. Yes, yeah. primarily um, was teaching online. And then I liked what I like to say is like I just always hustled, you know, and just did creative things. The great thing about doing the comedy troupe in college was a lot of those guys were writers and uh, in advertising and things. And so I'd get calls like, hey, I wrote this commercial. Do you want to come and audition for it? Or we want to do this movie and we've got a part for you. Like and so that just snowballed into just lots of different little projects, little indie movies here and there, commercials, voiceover work. And it just kind of grew and grew until it became full time. Yeah. And and so talk a little bit. I think on your show, I was listening to one of your episodes and you were talking a little bit about how you sort of um, snuck out at night to be <laughs> to keep using yeah. your creativity and your skills uh, when you were, you know, you're balancing mom life and trying to still create, which I think is well, cool. yeah. I just, I mean, I really do feel like being a mom, and and this was really modeled by my own mother, um, is just like the most creative thing, and and creating that kind of family. So Christopher and I had this philosophy of like, yeah, we want to have this kind of home and this kind of kids and family life that that we like, you know, and it might look different than other families, but that's okay. And he was really busy working full time and going to school full time. He he got a master's in staging Shakespeare in England at Everett Exeter. And then a PhD in education and leadership and theater um, combined from BYU. And, and and I was working and doing once I was a beehive and hosting random acts and show offs. And um, and so we, you know, it was highly scheduled, right? <laughs> we had to schedule things. Everything was scheduled. And I really wanted to be there for my kids as much as I could, too, especially when they're little. But everybody needs a creative outlet. You know, everybody's got to have their thing. And and I would always say it's kind of funny because, you know, for some women, like, you know, a generation ago would have been like scrapbooking or having a book club or bunko or, you know, which is totally great. But for me, it was going to do improv with my friends. So I tuck my kids in bed and sneak out and go down to the Velour in downtown Provo, which is a music venue that was just starting up at the time. And Corey Fox, who's just this, you know, the owner, such a great guy, was like, hey, listen, nothing's going on on a Monday night. You guys can come and and do improv there. And so we did shows there and just really created something that I am one of the things that I'm the most proud of, which is the Thrillionaires long form improvisational group where we a, a core group of us would study a different genre or style every week and then come and have the the costumes and the background and the themes um, of the entire play and entire musical with original songs you know completely made up that night based on a genre so it could be something like um, a John Hughes 80, 80s movie or Shakespeare or a western or a sci-fi movie or Oscar Wilde or Tennessee Williams or Jane Austen and, and it would we We'd just get as specific as we could. Our favorite was always film noir. We always thought that was so fun. And we just really fine-tuned that over years and years and years, just after the kids were in bed. And and, and a lot of movies and, and TV shows have come out of that, uh, creative projects, um, because of that, that, that group and that, that love of long-form improvisation. Wow. Well, you kind of, like... Just in passing, mentioned all these things. So let's go back a little bit and let's talk about, first of all, I think the first thing I really saw you in, and I'm trying to remember if it came before the the Once I Was a Beehive movie, but the chat books commercial. Oh, yeah. Was that before? Was that? That was after. Oh, okay. Or kind of in between the two. I, to me, that was where I was like, I 
I was like, that was her? Oh my gosh, that was the best commercial <laughs> ever. So talk a little bit about how that, that probably took off and you... I had no I mean, idea it was going to go so viral. <laughs> I remember auditioning for it and... Uh, and the audition said like overworked mom of like five, you know, of a lot of kids or something. And I was like, oh, I know. This. You're like, you raise your hand. Like, I have been studying for this role. <laughs> In fact, I think I walked in and they were like, OK, so we're going to read this. And I said, listen, I'm already a fan of chapbooks. I was already a customer because yeah. it's so great. You just send in, you know, your pictures. They make the book for you. You don't have to do anything. Um, and I said, and I have five kids. And and I know this mom. I know this character. Like just like this uh, is me. This is my life. <laughs> and I read the script, and all these crazy things are happening that you wouldn't believe. And I'm like, these things have actually happened to me. <laughs> so like, you're like, I'm a method actor, and I, totally. this is long con right this here. This is the only time I can really say that this role. I get it. And um, yeah, so I got the job, and the rest, you know, sort of is history. I've become the Harmon Brothers produced it, and I've done a lot of stuff for them since then. And it was just the most fun thing to make. It we were laughing like so hard. And I remember some of it's improvised because they'd be like, oh, this line isn't wor- working. What would you say? And I said, well, if this were real life, I would say, I'm so tired, you know, <laughs> and they kept it in. And so we just would laugh and we had a great time on set. That was one of my favorite projects ever. That And it did go kind of crazy, right? I mean, yeah. like it was everywhere yeah so it was, funny it was huge and, and did it I, win awards I assume yeah, it, it won, won all, all kinds these, of like, awards advertising awards you know I met the founders Nate and Vanessa Quigley of Chatbooks while I was in the bathtub if you haven't seen the video <laughs> I'm fully clothed I'm in a bathtub and I like had to shoot it like 18 times like in and out of these the subs Bubbles. And, and <laughs> that's when I met Vanessa and which is so perfect she comes over to me and she goes I just want you to know I'm the Chatbooks mom I'm a mom of eight I started this company you know like I'm crazy. I'm glad to meet you. And I said, no, I'm the chapbooks mom. I've got, you know, <laughs> these crazy kids. And we just kind of laughed. And we've act- we're actually like very dear friends to this day. So that was the whole vibe of that whole thing, which is kind of indicative of my my career where you just I just want to laugh and have a good time and make funny stuff with my friends. I love it. So talk a little bit about Once I Was a Beehive. That's one that kind of took off as well. I mean, it got really big and um, just kind of beloved, but also so much humor because I think sometimes that genre of of, um, maybe LDS-centric movies were... Well, I mean... You can say it. This is a safe place. (laughs) A little cheesy sometimes. But this one was just... It had the humor. I guess to me, it's like it's almost like... We're making fun of ourselves. Absolutely. And I think that's kind of great. And which I think we should more. You know, I think that you need to tell your own stories about your own experiences. And so my very dear friends, um, McLean Nelson and Haley Smith, just my best friends. um, And we've done improv together. We started the Thrillionaires together. You know, um, McLean had grown up watching his mom be the, you know, stake and relief society. I'm not really study a young woman's camp director, you know, and he's like, there's something about. Young Women's Camp, that's so special. Tell me what it is. And so Haley and I like wrote all this stuff down and we talked about the ideas. And McLean's like, this is this is a movie that needs to be told. And we need to tell it, you know, because it's our people. So we know what to tease and what not. You know, it's done with love. Right. right? And so out of that just came just, yeah, just a great experience and movie about something that I feel really passionately about, too. And I love the message. We wanted it to be very applicable um, to everyone. 
you know, and if you didn't grow up going to a girls camp like that, um, but maybe you know what a church Bible camp is like, or maybe you just know what it's like to be an adolescent like that, or just to look, to feel like you're the outsider, then we just thought everyone can relate to this movie. It's not just for girls. It's not just, you know, for people who are LDS, it's for everybody. And so we really were very conscious and intentional about making that accessible to everybody so that we can all come together and laugh. And I, 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 I think, you know, I think we did a a good solid job of it. You did a phenomenal job. And it it was a little indie movie and it was uh, funny (laughs) stories came out of just making it. And it was really, really hard. And I'm so glad we did it. Yeah, I it's it's really a fun one. And for someone who has I just tend to be in that youth group, that uh, place. And I just was for a long time been involved in going to girls camp and planning girls camp and being That's the worst it. too, isn't it? I, I hate camping. Okay. And so, I'm the young woman's president in my ward right now. And I just got called like last year, right before camp. And I, I showed up and my young women were like, all right, Carrie Carrington <laughs> for camp. What are we going to do? And I was like, uh-uh, everyone's going to lower their expectations. That was a role. This is Lisa Clark is going to camp with you, and it's and she's not that and fun. she is not fun like that. She does not enjoy camping. There's no arc that we're you know <laughs> carrying. There's no snow cones on the top of the mountain hike. Oh my gosh, I do have to say, like my version, my I think the most successful girls camp I ever had um, when I was a leader was I we actually like left the state. I took the kit, the girls. I don't know if they would let me do this now, but I kind of just said I was doing it. I went to my sister's. We went to her place in um, Twin Falls. Oh, how fun. And we kayaked and we cliff jumped and we did all this really fun stuff. And I'm like, we'll get to the other stuff. It's fine. We'll make it all work. They just need to be together, you know? And that's what we tried to do with the movie, too, is that it was like, yeah, we were teasing about, like, some of the funny things we do and say that are ridiculous. But, like, the heart of that movie is, like, they're not doing it, the leaders, to, like, manipulate the girls or to try to. They're just doing it because they love them, you know? And they're going to do it imperfectly because they just love the girls so much. And I super relate. (laughs) to that of like I know I'm weird and I know I'm a lot but I just care but it's fun I I mean like those are the kinds of people that and you you hope and again uh, I've talked on this podcast a ton about that one caring adult in your life and I I think it doesn't matter like you say it doesn't matter what faith tradition you belong to Um, every youth needs someone that's not a parent yep that's that one caring adult totally that sees agree. something in them that people that they don't see in themselves. And to be inclusive about that, you know, to say, like, I always tell the girls, you know, you don't have to pledge your allegiance to anyone or anything to be part of this group. Yeah. You you know, no matter what you believe or you're thinking, you're in this neighborhood, you are welcome. You want to bring your friend, they are welcome. It's it's This is a place where you will be treated with kindness and respect and love and and that you belong and it's a safe place. There's no entry fee for that. Yeah, I think that's such a great concept and such a great message for youth. They need it now, and even I'm more saying, than we like, did when we, we were younger. Truly, because um, you know what we're seeing is the anxiety and depression and um, social media use, and, and those two things are exponentially increasing. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, so obviously there's a corollary there. Oh, absolutely, and and, and self-esteem just, with especially yeah. with teenage girls and increased social media use is undeniable. And and yeah, just to try to counteract that. 
in yeah, some way. Yeah. Would, I just how do you? Yeah. Feel really so passionately let's about talk. That. I mean, we've talked a little bit. I told you before we started. Like, I have a really hard time um, talking about being a mom or, or I think we all have so many insecurities about being For a mom, sure but let's, and you, you do a council of moms on, on your show and it's phenomenal. What have you kind of learned through that process? Oh, thanks. I, you know, on the Lisa show podcast that parenting and mothering is, is, is highlighted. It's not the only thing that we talk about it, but we, we do talk a lot about it. And we've done an episode on mom guilt or trying to, you know, relax when you're super stressed or, uh, you know, different sort of parenting techniques. And so we do this segment called Council of Moms where I get everyday regular moms. And I say that because they're secretly like most moms, rock stars, right? Like they know they've lived it. To come into a room and we talk about things, we really, really talk about things. And the the things that I've learned is that we're all making it up as we go. The stakes are high and we all feel it. We all feel a lot of pressure and we're all really hard on ourselves when we don't need to be because we would never be that hard to each other. And so getting a group of, of women to talk about things like, how do you really feel? Like, what is it really like in your home? And, and what do you think about and worry about and struggle with? I find that once we talk about it, it becomes less overwhelming, less scary. There's a lot more empathy for ourselves as uh, because we have more empathy for others. And then it makes us feel like, oh, no, we, we're we're doing it. We're doing a better job than we think we can. And I feel like coming together and even just listening to other moms, like be really real about it, helps you feel a little bit more empowered to just go, oh, yeah, this is a really important thing. But it also is one aspect of who I am and I can only do what I can do. And, you know, we try to give you a lot of ideas and and. and and talk about that. But just like in any conversation, not everything's going to be for everybody, right? But you are smart enough to be able to figure out what you need to do or, or pluck out. But it's just to help us all feel a little bit less alone in that. Because I think it is a l- very isolating, especially as your kids get older and um, their problems and the parenting questions and situations get more serious. It's not as fun to like to talk about as it was when they were little, like, oh, well, what kind of formula do you use? Or what about daycare? Or what do you think about this, you know, first grade teacher? You know, that, that we can talk about everything when they're little. Once they start getting to be about 11, 12, 13, then we all go into our little corners. And I just think that's when we need each other the most. That's when we need to pull back the curtain and go, no, seriously, I'm really, really worried about my kid's depression or they won't go to school. What do I do? Like, you know, or I, you know, they're doing drugs or they're on social media too much or they have an eating disorder, like serious things. Like what do you do and who do you talk to? It has to be a safe place. And um, I'm surprised by and alarmed by how many parents don't have that safe place. They, They need the support, too, so that they can be there for their kids. Yeah, I think, too, even as parents, we talk about kids on social media, parents, moms on social media, you're only seeing like the fabulous vacations and the, you know, your your kids getting a major award or whatever it is. But the real life, everyone went to spring break. Yeah. And Whatever. if you're the idiot like me, who never goes any. We didn't grow up going on spring break somewhere. No, Spoiled it's almost kids. summer. Yeah. No, but you see that and you feel it, yeah. right? It creates yeah. this new thing that's not even real. Yeah. No, it's so true. I I actually had my sister text me. One of my sisters texted me the other night, and she's just at her wit's end with her her son, and she was just really struggling. And she she was texting me because I have three boys, and she was saying. 
why didn't you warn me oh. about 15 year old boys? And I was like, and then I felt terrible because no, I'm no, like, you I can't though. You can't. But it's like nursing. She's like, it's like nursing. Nobody told me it was horrible. You just see, oh, mom's just nurse. It's yep. a thing they do. And you're like, but wait a minute. That's, I'm not. And so you're like, oh, you just look and people look like they're just doing teenage boys and they're just very successful. And you're like, what is happening with me yeah. and why am I failing? And so I love having those conversations, those real conversations. Let's yes. not do Instagram world. Oh, Let's do like real it. live world. And that's what we really try to do on the Lisa show. I love that. That's so perfect. And we want to keep talking about that when we come right back. We're back here with Lisa Clark on First Lady and Friends. This is just such an honor for me to to be here with you. You're the pro. You're, you're so amazing. Nice. I don't know about that, but <laughs> you are. And it's been fun to talk about momming. So let's let's kind of continue on that theme. I we were talking a little bit in the break about adult parenting. So nobody warns you. It's the worst about adult parent, no. like adult they children. Can't because if they did, no one would want. To parent. Yeah. It's it's like nursing. It's right. like everything else. It's like, we're not going to, it's going to be a dirty little secret. Well, also, you can't describe it either. I That's remember true. once my mom saying, you never stop being a mom. And I was like, yeah, 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 whatever. And she's like, remember when you went off to college and you were crying because you were leaving your boyfriend behind? I was crying because I'm leaving my child below. And I didn't even think twice about my parents when they dropped me off at college. And I think about it now, having done that for three kids, and I think, I was so dumb. But that's just... The deal in parenting, you know, the stakes are are high and you love so much and you never stop caring. Yeah, there's this. And I'm sorry if you are a parent of kids that are small right now and you have this mistaken notion, <laughs> oh, you know, that 18 that somebody said, oh, from 18. <laughs> Like, it's okay. But really, no. <laughs> the And the thing about adult parenting is, you know, uh, parenting adult children is that the mistakes they make, you know, as an eight-year-old is like they rip their pants or, you know, at school or they do something stupid. Forget like they hand they, in a paper. Yeah. They, you know, and the Whatever. teacher calls you because they were playing some stupid game at school that we won't mention, Gavin. So... <laughs> <laughs> But, um, but now you're talking like life decisions, like decisions that are affecting like their whole lives Mm -hmm. and their frontal lobes are still not completely developed. So it's really hard. Yeah, it's, it's tricky and they have all the power too, because it's their lives as they should, right? They can be tried as adults. They (laughs) No, but really just remember that kids. (laughs) Well, and also I, I don't you remember being that age, too, and thinking, oh, yeah, well, I'll try this and do this and that and whatever. But you don't realize um, that the decisions that you make in your early 20s really put you on a on a, a path in life that, you know, yes, you can change. Yes, you can, you know, change your mind. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that that it is a bigger deal, I think, than even I thought at that time. And so now you see your kids do it and you just want to say, hey, learn from me. Hey, you know, fun fact. I love you and I know you probably better than anyone else. And I'd like to give you some advice and for them to look at you and go, no, thanks. I'd just like to learn on my own, please. And it's just like, wow. Okay. Yeah. And that's just how it's supposed to be. Yeah. And when you're when your kids are little, you have I know people with little kids don't 
maybe feel this so much, but you really do have a lot of control. Yeah, you get to decide what you buy, what they eat. Um, kind of what they wear and who they're with, and you know where they are and what time they go to bed and what their habits are, and then you don't know any of those things. Which again is good. I mean, you uh, for me, there's of this course. balance of for th- this is this thing I've struggled with adult children is there's a balance of first of all they're not totally financially independent. But they want to be independent in every other way. And so I'm like, no, I do still have a little control because I am still paying for a few things. Yeah. So those boundaries that are always changing and we're actually preparing a show, a podcast on this on the Lisa show, just about this very thing Mm -hmm. about how you like renegotiate those boundaries and renegotiate parenting so that everybody feels like loved and respected. And how can you have those really difficult conversations with less conflict, right? Mm -hmm. To say, this is what I need to feel good about this situation. What do you need to feel good? And to be able to be flexible like that with that changing relationship takes a lot of, it's not something, it takes a lot of um, trust and it takes a lot of love. And it's not something that we, that comes naturally to anybody. It's something that we both have to practice. So it's hard because you have to practice it as a parent and then they have to practice it as a baby adult and mm. you know you come together and have these conversations hopefully with love and respect but sometimes it can be with frustration and tears and and yeah. you know and and, I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna try really hard with the love and respect thing that's what that's where i need yeah, to but work just on. negotiating those relationships yeah. that's that's incredible advice and i can't wait to hear the show because i that's where i'm at it's right about now boundaries yeah i'm i'm ready for boundaries <laughs> me too <laughs> okay so let's let's shift gears a little bit um we we mentioned your dear husband. Um, let's talk a little bit about your experience. Um, he had a a pretty severe uh, debilitating illness, ALS. Yeah, the worst disease. <sighs> I, just, I, I dare you to find a worse more yeah, cruel disease. Yeah, I've I've known a few people. Yeah, that have had that. Um, and just talk a little bit about your journey and and you know from diagnosis and you know, what it meant for your family and, and then, you know, kind of beyond that. I mean, it's a really long story, but the, the medium version of it is, is that, you know, he always was really healthy and vivacious, like just always moving around a great theater director, actor, husband, father, friend, just moving and shaking all the time and just has done wonderful things at Utah Valley University. They're honoring him with a scholarship and his name for the London Study Abroad program that he started. The green room is named after him. Um, there's a cool like a bust of his head there that he wants the actors to rub. That was so great. <laughs> his bald head before they go on stage. I love it. Like that's just who he is. Just funny and was diagnosed very unexpectedly with ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease in 2016. Lived with it for four and a half years um, before he passed away on June 5th of 2020. You know, during a global pandemic when we couldn't see any friends or have anybody over to help me take care of him. And it was just the absolute worst. But I will say that, like, my kids are incredible. And they're a lot like their father, thank goodness. And they live life and they don't feel guilty about that, about being happy and moving forward because they're very confident that that's how their dad wanted them to live. And that was just such a huge gift that he gave us. And um, yeah, I, I'd love to honor him. I can't believe it's been almost two years since it's his passing. Um, 
he he passed away two days after we celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary. Mm-hmm. He had this big surprise planned for me. I mean, he was just an incredible person. Wow. Yeah. And his legacy lives on. And and um, I'm just so grateful for the time that we were able to have. Yeah. So that tell me a little bit. So your kids are kind of what what was it like? That that moment of diagnosis when when you oh, get it was that. such a shock, yeah. we couldn't even talk about it to each other for about two weeks. We looked at each other like it took about three months to diagnose, and in that time, we were like, "Is it a brain tumor? Is it cancer? Is it leukemia? Is it MS?" And and, and like it's so interesting, like to pray. Oh, I hope it's a brain tumor because at least you can Jeez. operate. At least there's a chance. But if it's this one thing that no one is saying out loud, it can't be. It can't be that. And of course I Google it, WebMD. Yeah. My brother, the doctor was like, don't we're all, do we're that. But of course yeah. I, de- I Google his symptoms and that's what pops up. And I was like, can't be that. And so when it was that, it was just devastating. Our oldest was 18 and our youngest was eight. We told them only our 18 year old really understood what that meant. We started telling, we told our families and we started telling close friends and it was the worst to tell your, he has this, they were like, you're kidding. Like, cause our friends were all real jokey and we're like, this is not a joke. Like we are for sure. It was awful. And, um, and that first year was really hard just trying to learn new languages and learn like, well, what can we do? And we're going to fight this and we're going to, we're going to be the, you know, no one has found a treatment or a cure for it, but, but maybe I can. Because yeah. I don't know if you guys know, I'm really good at researching. <laughs> and I just like, but you live in that weird space. And then I remember about the first year in thinking, no, this is how he dies. Um, and I and now it should be my focus to make him comfortable, to make the time that he has fun so that he can teach as long as he wants, so that he can... We can still travel as long as you want, you know, and keep things as quote unquote normal as we possibly can. And 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 I feel really grateful that we were able to do that with the help of friends and family. We were able to have so many great days and so many happy, happy, happy moments. And it wasn't all doom and gloom. Mm. Um, and he made fun of himself and he made fun of every time he lost the ability to do something he would joke about it or make a video about it you know he had this like ALS voice when his voice was going and it kind of sounded like Frankenstein so he had his friends who were like makeup artists come and dress him up as Frankenstein and then his cousin and they did this like black and white putting on the Ritz like (laughs) video where he was the young Frankenstein and he would just try to sing but he couldn't sing because he couldn't carry a note because his voice was going and he just sounded like Frankenstein and it is the funniest thing that you've ever seen. And people would comment on his Facebook and or on his, you know, Instagram or whatever and be like, I don't know if I can laugh at this. And he's like, this is why I did it. Of course you can laugh about it. And he gave like Permission. the cue to everyone else of like, no, you, this is so stupid. Let's just laugh about it. Yeah. You know, he had that Stephen Hawking set up, you know, with the screen where you'd like <laughs> type with your eyes when his voice went. Yeah. And it had these like pre um texted things in it like and they were so depressing and Chris would laugh at him so hard so we would be in the middle of Target or something and he'd be standing with one of my sons or something and he would press the button and it would say help I don't know this person and he would just press it over and over again crying because he was laughing so hard and my son would be like dad dad stop don't do that like or you know he would press it and it would say no one knows how this feels (laughs) And then he would just laugh and just like he would just use anything in there just to laugh and joke. And and he set the tone for our family. And I realize now, especially even more and more, like what a gift that was, you know, 
he, you know, thought, I've got 10 minutes a day to feel sorry for myself, you know. Um, you talk about going on social media and just seeing people who just, you know, didn't have to think about all the things that he had to think about as he slowly lost control of all of his muscles, couldn't speak, couldn't move by the end, you know, and, and that last year of his life. Um, and he just made the best of it. You know, here then we had so many people helping him, uh, physical therapists and nurses and stuff coming in and out. And then the pandemic hit and everybody had to go home. And I looked at my oldest son, Miles, and I said, it's just you and me taking care of this grown man. I mean, lifting him up, helping him. I mean, he couldn't even scratch his nose by himself. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I said, I'm so sorry. I didn't want this for you. And Miles, just like his dad, just said, you know, this is my dad. What else is more important? And so I would take 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. And he would take 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. And Mm. I would wake up at 4 and go to my job and do my early morning show and then come back. And um, I think about that now, you know, and, you know, we compare our lives to other people. And on social media, boy, I was losing big time. Yeah. (laughs) And yet. We laughed. We had fun. We were a family. I wish I were living that life now, Mm. you know? Yeah. So it it gave my kids a different perspective that they'll, you know, whether we wanted that for them or not, that they will never forget. And and when I have our time, which I do, you know, I miss him. uh, I let myself have 10 minutes of feeling sorry for myself. And then I just think, what would Chris do? Chris would... (laughs) Get up and go to work and make somebody laugh. He'd do something. He'd have, he'd have, he'd keep moving forward. So that's what we're all trying to do. Well, and it's kind of a privilege. I remember when my grandpa was really sick with cancer and I remember a lot of the other family members, we lived really close and I remember taking care of him and, um, my, my grandma, if she'd have to, you know, and she was old too. So we would go over there and help take care of him. And I remember thinking, what a privilege. I, I, I just didn't. Nobody else got that. And I, I think that's what you're talking about. Just For sure. almost a, a, a privilege. That's how I see it. To, to I have somebody who who did so much for you and meant so much to you. Yeah. You get the honor of, of sort of taking care of them and, and helping them transition. Yeah. To the and, next I, and I had always promised him because, you know, you have to make a lot of decisions ahead of time with mm. a disease like ALS. And he was very clear about what he wanted and what he didn't want, which is a gift, you know, and he had everything planned out and the funeral and all that. I hope the funeral was a lot of fun and music. And yeah, (laughs) did he plan a fun? Well, and we we had to keep the numbers low. It could only be immediate family. It was during a global pandemic. It was not how he had envisioned it. And in fact, I joked with him. I was like, well, you can't die now during a pandemic because you you can't have this huge, you know, celebration of your life. And he was like, oh, I'm done with that. You know, like. It's all right. It yeah. can just be a religious ceremony, and and I've I've been able to tell the people who I love, you know, goodbye, and yeah. I'm done with this goodbye tour, and and I just had yeah. made a promise to him that I wouldn't let him suffer, and so when it got to that point, he he made it better for all of us, mm-hmm. you know, and and yeah, you just don't forget that it kind of changes you forever. Yeah, um, I'm a lot of fun at parties. I know. Let me tell you. <laughs> do you have your own headstone? I do. Should we talk about it? No. Okay. Well, cool. We, I'll just get some chips. I'll be over here. It, <laughs> so you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, at least, at least. Okay. So in Fairview, and maybe it's everywhere, and I just don't know it because I don't spend a lot of time in cemeteries. But <laughs> well, you're missing out. Let me tell you. <laughs> I'll show you around. But, don't worry. <laughs> 
<laughs> but there are like there are I know couples in in our town that literally they're both still alive and they put their headstone up. It's already there. Yes. Well, have them at least hold it at the quarry or whatever, and don't put it in until you have to. No, they was it was like there. Okay, I've never. Heard of that. That's I, weird. I walked past and I'm looking at it and I'm like, I. They're not dead. They're That's and so hmm. they just have their birth. Yeah, yeah. Your, your their birth dates, but you can't gr- engrave the birthday first because you don't know when you're going to die, and it has yeah. to be symmetrical. See, these are things that I know that yeah. I wish I didn't know. Yes, but I know them. Don't. Okay, here's yeah. the deal. I'll have get to go back. If I think you they... need to, but if you don't need to, don't get a headstone. Yeah, no, that's I mean, my buy a opinion. plot if you want. I, when... <laughs> yeah, when... buy a plot. In fact, now I'm like, you guys, I know where I'm buried, so I'm asking all my friends and family, like, just reserve the plot around us because yeah. it's going. It's, I can see people are buying them. Up. Be a this party. is a hot commodity right now, <laughs> and they look at me like I would. Re- no, we're not doing that. One time, one time when I think. I can't remember if it was when Spencer was the mayor. They're like, it was like a two for one deal at yes. the cemetery. <laughs> and I was, Spencer, two for one deal. <laughs> he was trying to talk me into it. Oh. And I was like, no, no, I am not buying a plot right now. Until you have But to. in hindsight, I'm yeah. kind of wishing we Yeah, would. there you go. Well, it's so funny talking yeah. to my parents or, you know, someone who's like, you know, in their 80s or something, like, you should think about this. And they're like, no way. And I just like, Man, I'm in my 40s and I've had to think about it. Yeah. Life is weird. Life is weird and um and really unpredictable, but we celebrate and we celebrate through laughter. Yes. And I love absolutely. that that's that's what you've done and I love that um you're bringing joy to so many people. Tell us maybe what's next for you. Oh, that's a good question. Well, I love doing the Lisa show on on BYU Radio, and you can download the podcast wherever. I really, really like it. It has so much more meaning to me because now I just feel like it's so needed. There's so much pressure on the end. I just want to create a place where people can come and they feel like they connect. They feel like they belong and they feel like it's going to encourage them you know, a little bit and not be like, oh, what's one more thing I need to be doing? Yeah. So I do love that. I love. I uh, still love performing improv with my friends when I can. We, I want to make some, some more indie movies with them. I'd love to do another season of show-offs. Um, on BYU uh, TV, and we only did three seasons. I'd love to do it's a little bit more of like improv, like that. I'd love to do some more writing. You know, my kids are getting older, and they're gonna go off into the world, and, and so and be very successful adults as yeah, we've and be very established. successful established adults. So <laughs> that's I'm the goal. Looking forward to to watching them fly. <laughs> we want them to fly and yeah. not fall. So, oh, thank you, Lisa. This has been just really a fun time for me and again you're you're an expert in this and we want you to we want our listeners to go and download your podcasts uh the lisa show podcast um wherever you find your podcasts it's it's phenomenal i've been listening to them and very uplifting and it's something that we definitely need in this world like you talked about um that's we we need connection. We need it. We need to come together as a community and we need to just lift each other up. I, I just, I don't understand people going through the world angry and upset about everything because I just, it's just not fun for me. So <laughs> I feel like if Makes you're lifting each other up, yep. being kind, let's just move forward together and, uh, and have a, a laugh. Be an amazing community and let's have a laugh. So thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. You can learn more about the Lisa show at byuradio.org slash Lisa. 
And you can find The Lisa Show on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for being a friend.